The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Good evening. Welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, podcast preview show for round two versus Adelaide Crows. Uh, the game is on Saturday at Adelaide Oval. And joining me tonight is Rick. How are you, Rick? Porsche, I'm great. What about you? Ah, oh, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, we, need, we need a shorter name, really, don't we? Then what? Well, yeah, I guess so. It's it's getting a bit elongated. Yeah, but if you don't say the whole thing, then people forget the bits of it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> hey, the, the million-dollar the question for me tonight, Porsche, is will Macca be able to stay away and rest? I don't know. I or don't will know. he? Or will he be tempted to uh, to join in on the show? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit worried, I've got to say. I'm a little bit worried that um, if we say something a bit wrong, you'll get in here and uh, do something. In yeah. hindsight, I should have made up a whole bunch of stats for the last time we played, and that might just get him crazy enough he'd do that, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So how how is the, the five days or four days since the review show of Port LA been for you? Well, yeah, not too bad. Um, I've got to say that was a, a, a very interesting match last week, but... Uh, Mm. Mm. I think it was not as bad as people made out um, uh, on the fo- on the big footy boards uh, during the match. I think that St Kilda are having a real go. I think that the way they're set up, they're uh, going to be better early in the season on the faster tracks. Um, and I yep. think that we expect to be um, building our side around, yeah, okay, we want to be competitive in that sort of area, but we also want to be uh, um, more ready for the winter because that's where, that's where your season's won and lost unless you completely screw it up early. And I think, mm. in fact, we were probably a little bit slower, but we're also a little bit old on a lot of sides now too. So um, I think yeah. we're well set up for the later part of the year. I uh, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but just quickly, I guess one thing I commented on to on Tuesday to somebody was I actually felt like we had the momentum of the game for mm. pretty much the whole game. And it was just really the disposals that was really costing us. But... You know, you, you could, momentum's pretty predictable, I reckon, in modern AFL football now. And, um, you know, there's games where, you know, I think like the West, game, West Coast game last year where I never felt comfortable that we were going to win that game. We just mm. seemed to be out of it the whole time, whereas I felt like last week we did have the, the bulk of the momentum and we just didn't really capitalise. And, uh, and to St Kilda's credit, they, they pushed us hard. But this will be an interesting game. We don't have a lot of confidence, I reckon, in the uh, Port supporters this week. Uh, I think I think there's a bit of that. I think there's always just. I think when it comes to showdowns, people put their brains on the shelf and they just sort of think, "Oh my god, what if we lose? I'm going to have to face up to all these idiots on Monday." Um, but it, the reality also is, I think that the Crows, they covet the underdog position, like no matter what time. I mean, we've seen it every showdown for the last ten years or have no nineteen years. Um, we've seen that basically any showdown they want to come in as the underdogs because then there's less pressure on them. Um, and I think Port usually are a bit indifferent to that, but in showdown week, we don't want to let them go in and mean, oh, yeah, we're going to... We've got no expectations on us. We can play freely, because that's usually is when they play better. So, um, I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit of psychological stuff more than actually. Uh, the reality is that winning form for showdowns tends to be carried over from the previous week, and we've got it and they don't. So, um, that's that's that, really. <laughs> awesome. Podcast over. Great. <laughs> 
All right. Well, look, before we get into the game, uh, just go through a couple of the hot topics of the week. Um, Number one, uh, unfortunately, I would have to say for us is that Matt White is out for 12 weeks with a pec injury, which uh, that's pretty awful news for Matt. That's... um, He's obviously missed a large chunk of last season and uh, that's a long time to be out of football and hope to get back for what we expect to be a finals campaign. That's a, it was a bizarre injury too, wasn't it? Because it, it was almost, he'd done his tackle or completed the tackle and he was just sort of um, trying to get up and next minute it had popped. And uh, I haven't seen that much in AFL football before. No, it's it's certainly strange. I mean, normally when you talk about long-term injuries, for the most part, we always think that they're like leg injuries, like, you know, you've done a hamstring or you've got a stuffed-up ankle or whatever else it might be. But to do a peck like that is just kind of unusual. Um, it is. Well, what, say, do you, what do you think? Is it, is it a big loss for us? Uh, I think it is, um, in part because we set up in... I reckon we sort of set up almost a little bit like we did in 2001, uh, in that in 2001, we had Stuart Jew and Fabian Francis as the floodbusters, if you recall. Mm, yep. um, and they were both streaming down opposite wings pretty much and kicking long and just really dictating the play at a time when sides were really getting into the whole throw everyone back all the time. Uh, and I feel that um, White and Polex sort of fill that role for us in the current side. So when we lose White, then I think it's a real... It, it makes us lopsided in that we, we want to keep using Polex. Um, I don't know if it's an actual thing where they play on other sides of the field, but I think that we do need more than one genuinely speedy option streaming through half forward. Um, yeah, so it's a concern for us as a club, I think. And, but we have been slowly recruiting to fill these positions. Um, well, Tompas isn't really... Um, he's the man coming in. He's not really a speedster, is he? No, no, he's not really. Um, he's, pr- he's pretty efficient with the ball, but I would have said he's more a thoughtful player that... Is a bit, I don't know, he's a bit plotty. I'm not saying mm. it in a negative way, but he's probably more in the Ebert class of he would probably be decent and consistent uh, when he mm. gets good rather than explosive, which is really what you have to say White and Polek are particularly. Um, I think that we've got probably two other players on our list that could play those sorts of roles consistently, or three actually. Um, mm. Obvious ones would be Carl Amon and I think Aidan Johnson, who we drafted this year. Um, yep. They're both very well known for their speed. Um, I think the less obvious one, but possible one that might happen this week, is someone like Jarman Impey, because uh, he has got a pretty belting pace on him when he actually gets the opportunity, and I think his awareness is getting better every week um, from the way he plays. Uh, mm. And arguably, Jake Need could fill that role too, now I think about it. Um, but I guess the height advantage makes it a little bit more challenging to sort of take those marks. I like the I like the Impey one. I mean, I think the natural call last year when we were looking for speed was to... Uh, to push um, Jasper up onto the wing. But uh, I think I like the suggestion of Impey over Jasper uh, in that potential uh, run role because he does have a bit of speed about him and he's had that um, experience now in defence so he should have been building that defensive side. So let's see what his offensive side's like. Yeah, um, look, I think with Pittard, I wouldn't have ever said we were necessarily putting him on the forward line for pace, but more for the fact that he is more deliberate in how he disposes to the forward line. So that's more useful if you've got a, a side that's just ready to take intercept marks all the time. Um, and that, that's the sort of circumstance I'd reckon we'd put Pittard forward. But yeah, I, I think Impey could fill that sort of role. I think it would be robbing our defence at a time when we're kind of slow back there. Um, mm. With Jonas in the side, I've got nothing against Jonas, but Jonas and a multiple tall backman in um, Carlisle and Homsch and Trengove. Uh, it's probably a little bit too slow for this time of year, I think, but we'll see yeah, how yeah. it goes. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Hey, uh, are we doing anything crazy tonight, seeing there's the two of us? Well, we could take in a couple of calls. I thought we might do that after we do a little bit of a brief preview for the uh, game. So if you want to send through a little thing on Skype to PAFC Radio, um, a little just a little texty thing, and we'll see about getting you in and have a chat. And if you don't want to do that, awesome. that's fine. We can, just, we can talk all night, can't we, Rick? It's easy. Absolutely. We do always. <laughs> we always Absolutely. go for two hours after the show. So uh, Pretty much. Yep. What else did you have on the list? Well, um, I guess then another big news support Adelaide would be the new board member, Holly Ransom, um, appointed uh, unusually. She's, uh, what, 28 years old, I think it is. Um, she's not a Port Adelaide fan. She broke for West Coast and had some affiliation with the Crows that I'm not entirely aware of. Uh, she's met the Dalai Lama. She was recommended by AFL commissioners and David Kosh is speaking very, very much uh, well of her. Uh, maybe a little bit controversial and different. What do you think, Rick? I really like it. I... Um... I'm all for a bit of uh, a bit more female representation at the upper levels of of business or or sporting boards. I, I think it's great, and you know, as long as as long as they've got the credentials, and uh, she clearly has the uh, has the credentials. And I think, I mean, I, funny enough, I just I've just completed the uh, the five day training with the Institute of Company Directors, and uh, uh, you know, one of it is uh, one of the topics that they bring up there is identifying skill weaknesses and uh, being able to uh, um, attract those and get them onto having a diverse board. And therefore, um, I really like it. I, as I was saying before the show to you, uh, I can't remember all the board off the top of my head, but I know the key players, are, you know, Kosh and Osborne and uh, Fiachi, uh, Cardone, Vanstone. Um, I don't know how many Gen Y orientated people we have on the board, uh, so without knowing her business in full detail, uh, but going through the media reports, I think it's uh, an excellent uh, addition. And, you know, we do a good job, but if we can be better, why not? Let's look at the options. Absolutely. And, and look, I think there has been a bit of criticism about the fact that I guess she's sort of they're saying, oh, you know, there's not necessarily a great background for a football board. But I think we also have to remember back in the day when Port was just a suburban SANFL club and we'd have, you know, your local accountants and uh, businessmen on the board of the club before it was a big deal to be on the board. Um, mm. And, you know, you didn't necessarily have to have even played football, you know. I, I don't know that Greg Bolton really did, did he? <laughs> and he was a chairman. No. So, I think that's small-time that's small yeah. small mentality. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we've got enough football people there uh, on the board and uh, outside of the board to keep it on track. I mean, we've got to remember that the board is really uh, assisting in creating the strategic direction of the, of the club or the business, whichever one it is, and, uh, and, and they help align the club uh, get there. And, I mean, you know, we've, we've got the famous memories of, uh, of John Jaynes and, and what he was trying to do when he was in power. And, um, mm. you know, but I think, you know, we've got enough wise heads with football history uh, to know that we're on the right track, and I don't think she's really going to detour that. I think all she's going to do is is help facilitate, get communication out, uh, especially to the younger generation of fans. Yeah, definitely. All right, we'll just do a couple other non-port ones quickly. Um, I suppose there's one little item that I've just sort of noticed, and I think that it's one that's probably we'll find out more, I guess, as the year goes on. But uh, we've had an unusually timed appointment for the new Greater Western Sydney football manager, which is that uh, Wayne Campbell has quit as the umpiring or the head of umpiring for the AFL, and he's going to be starting at GWS within a month as their new football manager, uh, rejoining his old teammate uh, Leon Cameron, uh, who was obviously the coach up there. 
Now, that's really weird uh, that that would happen at this time of year and you kind of wonder what the impacts will be. So, for example, why is it happening now and not at the end of the season? Um, what impact will that have on the umpiring after there's been such a huge change in how the game is umpired this year? Can we expect that the second Wayne Campbell's out the door that the umpiring will go back to what we've seen in previous years? Um, we haven't heard about a replacement for him as the umpire's coach yet, so that'll be interesting as well. Uh, I don't know. It's just a fascinating little story, and I think we're going to hear more of that as time goes by. Well, so is, is he replacing Stephen Silvani? Uh, no. Or, or was Silvani no, list manager? No, this is the football manager. Yeah, he's the list manager. So football manager, I think, is Gubby Allen um, from right. memory, uh, and he's retiring. So it could be that the reti- but that's a weird time to retire as well, I would have thought, unless there's something else going on. Maybe a personal issue, I don't know. But um, guess money talks at the end of the day, doesn't it? You think yeah. GWS is probably paying more than what the AFL does to the Umpire's head coach, coach of the umpire. Yeah, but you'd think he would have had an assistant there to uh, um, to be able to fill in the breach of uh, while they look for someone else. Yeah, well, look, you would absolutely expect that. It's just, um, gosh, I don't know. And, and like I said, at the start of a season like this, when the umpiring has changed so significantly, the interpretations and how the, everything's done, I think it's a funny time to lose your coach and it could have some interesting impacts on the game. Oh, I just think, look, you'll just get Big Gill and uh, Fitzpatrick and Mark Evans down there and they can just call the shots, can't they? And uh, <laughs> just tell uh, our mate little Matt Nichols to, uh, you know, maybe pay a few more frees to uh, the Crows in St Kilda when they're playing Port. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm, sure, look, I'm sure they'll be right. And I guess they can find an ex-Richmond or Hawthorne player to be the face of it, so that should be okay. <laughs> maybe Jason Dunstall wants to uh, come back into the football scene. <laughs> Big chief. Hey Oh, God, I can't imagine him ever being the umpiring coach. That would just be... I think the world would implode if that ever happened. It would just be so out of character. <laughs> do, you think, do you think the um, the AFL could... Could they actually uh, maybe make a mandate that, you know, you have to honour a contract? You you won't be able to leave a position during the season. Try and, I think, you know, to try and stop coaches, uh, you know, derailing uh, clubs or, you know, now admin staff or I wonder if that could be possible well I think part of it the fact that he's being recruited from outside of the club system is probably part of why they'll let this one go in any circumstance but certainly I think there is a case to be made for you know how early coaches are targeted by position clubs um, but I guess that's probably more an AFL coaches association issue than anything else um, it's a bit of a mess for clubs but if the coaches can't agree on what it is or they're going to say that the current situation is the best situation then it's hard to disagree with that because they're the ones that are going to be most impacted by losing staff at the wrong time of year um, absolutely and there was just one other little article uh, item i wanted to quickly bring up and it's one of our i suppose time slot competitors uh, in some ways and that's uh, the new appointment of a new host for the footy show rebecca madden um she's a geelong fan journalist uh and it's a little bit of controversy, I think, because people know what the footy show's like um, in appointing a woman as the new host. And I guess just to um, take Gary Lyons' phrasing on this sort of issue, what parent would want their daughter to work for the footy show? <laughs> yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> They're a competitor. Who, who are you talking about? What? Sorry, I didn't say anything. We're done. <laughs> no, again, you know, good luck to her. I know, I know the NRL footy show, they've got... Um, They've got a female co-host on there too, I think. And uh, you know what? Maybe she might be able to... Who says... I mean, everyone says, oh, you know, how will she handle Sam Newman? Maybe she'll uh, 
stick it up Sam Newman and make him uh, accountable at times. Well, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Sorry, that was Good a request. Luck to us. <laughs> hey, that was a request. Someone's missing Macca, so I have to say that's it. That's it. Oh, can you who's say it? Missing Macca. Graham Hitch on the speaker account. Oh come on, Graham. There you go. I'm still here. <laughs> you haven't squeaked your chair once, here. Rick. What's going on? Jeez. It's all about. <laughs> I told you. It's all about Macca. 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 Oh, yeah, no. he loves that. He'll be he'll be sitting there giggling away, feeding little Holly. Yeah. Missing me already. It's all right. So it's what are okay. we up to? Well, if there's nothing else you want to discuss as a hot topic for the league or news in this week, then I think we're up to talking about the last time they met. Oh, yes. All right. Okay, so the last time Port played Adelaide in a showdown was, of course, last year, and it was very memorable, I think, for everyone in South Australia and most of Australia too, uh, coming as it does, uh, uh, basic as it did after the unfortunate death of uh, Phil Walsh. Uh, the Crows coach at the time, of course, obviously an assistant coach at Port Adelaide for a long time before that. Um, the game itself was very close. We sort of surrendered a, a lead or an advantage quite early on, and it wasn't until the last quarter that we actually almost made a comeback. But at the end of the day, Adelaide won 18 goals, 8, 116 to Port Adelaide 17, 11, 113. Um, Terrace Boak was probably the best player for Port, and there were a few multiple goal kickers. But uh, really, this was a game that uh, we all thought we should have won and probably cost us a spot at the finals. Uh, do you have any mm. recollections there you want to talk about, Rick? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I guess for me, still, I guess the post-game tribute I thought was just amazing mm. and very, very classy. And I think it was more about recognising Phil Walsh uh, as a person and his footballing uh, contribution more than the game itself. Um, you know, the turning the lights off and and everyone uh, putting the the mobiles on and with the glow, I just. It was just an amazing experience, and you know, have, seeing the two teams unified, um, you know, when really we're so divided, um, you know, was great too. And I know some people, some Port supporters, in reflection, you know, were a bit grumpy. We probably gave up uh, too much advantage, but I think you know, with the event that happened, you know, the game was sort of second, really, you know, to everything else. It was a very emotional time, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Um, and look, there's a lot of expression, I think, about that game for everyone. I mean, I, I've actually just uh, this evening put my scarf on outside again, just as another memorial um, of that. Uh, it was quite amazing seeing that sort of popping up everywhere and just the recognition mm. that, you know, it wasn't uh, that, yes, obviously the family had lost someone very important to them, but that it was sort of a loss for football in Australia in a lot of ways. Um, it was one of those moments that really kind of brings people together Um it's tragic, tragic moment. Um, gosh, it'd be nice to think that more would come out of it than just a memory of a game, though. Um, I kind of feel like there needs to be probably... It would be nice if there had been some outcome involving uh, mental health support from this that is lasting, but I don't think that's happening. It's no. A tough, it's a tough topic. What do you think about the uh, the medal, going back to the showdown medal and not being named the Phil Walsh medal? I don't have a problem with it. Um, really, I, it's kind of funny that we even call it the Showdown Medal because that was a Balfour's marketing thing in any case. So mm. uh, it could be named after anyone. I think that really you want it be, to be named in a celebrity, celebratory way um, mm. rather than sort of bringing up a bad memory uh, over I'd and lo- over for 100 years. I'd, I'd love it to be called the Max Bashir Medal, really. I mean, he's been such a custodian <laughs> to South Australian football. I mean, I mean what, what greater honour could there be? 
I think someone on the board mentioned the Ken Cunningham medal. <laughs> <laughs> the KG medal. Yeah. Uh, I know I was being tongue-in-cheek. I'd, I'd love it to be the Scotty Hodges medal myself, but that's never going to happen. Oh, look, I, what's going to happen eventually is there's going to be some legendary Port or Crows player that coaches the opposition, and that's who it'll be named after. Like, that's going to happen at some point. It'll happen. It'll happen at some point. There'll be like a... Chad Corns coaching the Crows. Yeah, because then you can't disagree with it. Because if they're you know a, a champion of one club and they're a, you know maybe a premiership coach at the other one, for example, then how do you argue against that? How do you say that that's not the perfect player to name such a medal after if and mm. when that happens? So I think that's probably. I think that's one of those things where. You know, if if you look at the Brownlow Medal or the McGarry Medal, I think that naming them after administrators at the time was probably a pretty nice thing to do. But you know, a hundred years later, it's like we could have saved that for someone else. You know, <laughs> and I, I think it's probably okay for us to not name everything in the first twenty years of the the club being in the AFL, and maybe leave a few awards later for you know the future, which we expect to be extremely right. So did um, Scott Thompson reamed us that game and and won the medal, didn't he? Oh, I think that's right. Yeah, he did. We just let him run a run around like a wild cat and didn't really care and yeah maths like 36 37 possessions and and does what he does and just extracted the uh the contested ball and i think that's probably uh you know one of the memories and and sam sam jacobs once again had a field day uh, yeah, yeah you know he he uh, as he does against us on most occasions in in recent times yeah no it's uh one of those games that really just got out of our grasp i think that probably the impact of the loss uh, of Phil Walsh. I, it's not a competition, but I just feel like we were probably more overawed by it than the Crows were by that point. Mm. Um, I guess because the guys there had multi-year had, had multi associations with him. You know, like there'd been guys there, he'd been the coach for almost all of their career. Um, <laughs> almost. Mm. There'd be guys there that wouldn't remember the first time he was at the club. Um, would there be any? Yeah, there'd probably be... I don't know. Do you know. Do you know what caught me back then was I didn't realise Hinkley and Walsh had such a close association over the 20 years. Yeah, no, that was uh, kind of surprising. But um, look, Walsh was at every club, so we can't be too surprised, I guess. <laughs> um, what, he got Collingwood, around, didn't he? Collingwood, Richmond, Geelong. I think he might have been at Brisbane before Port. He was at Brisbane, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. he ended up at Adelaide and went to West Coast. And yeah, he was everywhere. He was the everywhere man for sure. He was. What a journeyman. Mm. Awesome. All right, well, if that's all right, we'll get on to this week's game. Uh, so we had the selections come in, and they I think this is probably one of the more interesting sets of selections for Port Adelaide in terms of our bench uh, mm-hmm. and basically our incoming and outgoing. Uh, so first of all, we've got the uh, ins who are... Um, oh, sorry, the bench, named as Polek, Impey, Archie and Jonas. Uh, Tumpus has been named on the field. He's the actual in for uh, Matthew White dropping out. Uh, and our emergencies are Carl Amon, Doug Dougal Howard, and Aaron Young. Um, now you have to think that when you're replacing Matthew White with um, Jimmy Tumpus, that perhaps it's not really a like for like. And mm. so that sort of the three emergencies are really fascinating because any one of those three could come in depending on how the club sees, I suppose, the weather, the pitch, um, how the opposition they expect to line up is. Um, if you want to replace that speed, you bring in Carl Amon for Hartlett if he gets injured, for example, or if he is injured or he doesn't play. Um, if you decide that Lobby can't ruck all game, maybe Dougal Howard comes in. And if you just want to double down on inside midfielders to cope with the ruck deficiency, then you might bring in Aaron Young as an extra secondary midfielder. Well, um, let's uh, let's assume that uh, Hamish Hartlett's out, right? 
right? I don't yeah. know, but, you know, I guess the whispers that are around at the moment are that, you know, he might be missing out with a, a slight hamstring strain. So mm. let's let's go with, let's be conservative and go, okay, well, yeah, Hamish isn't going to play. So mm. who do we who do we bring in off of that, um, off of that emergency list? Well, I, I kind of feel like it's, I kind of feel like we're getting in half the story. Like I think that, if that's happening, that might have already happened. Because I think that if I was looking for a position that Tumpus could play on the field, he's a huge quality downgrade at this point on Hartler, but I think that that's a pretty like-for-like like sort of comparison if Tumpus plays well. Mm. Um, so it really, I think it just comes down to how we want to shape up against the Crows, you know. Um, lobby last week, it's a lot of controversy, um, but I think it's, what, three weeks already this year, uh, including the preseason, when his opponent has been considered to have had their career best game. Um, mm. So even though his stats were quite good, mm, so the oppositions were better. So it might be that we decide that we need more ruck support, and Dougal Howard could do that. Uh, and you know he's not—he wasn't brought in as a ruck. You're not saying Dougal will be the main ruckman, but you're saying Dougal yeah, could come in for support with Lobie. Absolutely. And if we're looking at the sort of way he would support, uh, it would be kind of like when we were bringing in. I don't know, Brogan behind Lade or Primus. Um, mm. in the, sort of playing a half, but maybe spending time on the bench and time in the back line or the forward line, depending on which he's better suited for, probably the forward line, but mm. maybe not needed there so much. Well, Brogan um, was great with that kick behind the play in the beginning, wasn't he? Oh, he was great. And, of course, you had Brendan Lade going the other way as playing as the extra tall up forward. Um, that was a perfect situation for our rucks, having one that can go back and one that can go forward. Mm. Um, it'd be nice to get that back because that just it gave us so much versatility. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I know I I sort of said on the boards earlier um, in the week that you know I wouldn't mind seeing Dougal come in to play like that third third man up role and uh, yeah. and try and even uh, you know and try and even run off Sam Jacobs because I think he'd definitely have the uh, the leg speed there. And and as we were saying before the show, um, Dougal's actually quite deceptive um, for a tall guy. He's Absolutely. got a very he's got a very strong um, running ability. So I don't know about endurance, but um, he definitely has good pace for an 199 centimetre uh, player. So um, I don't know if we'd run. I don't know. If, well, and it's going to be 28 degrees and one o'clock on Saturday. So if it's going to be perfect weather, maybe we could carry an extra tool. Maybe. Look, we just had a, a little quote um, by Spreaker saying that Hammer was on Channel 9 tonight and said he fully expected to pass the fitness test. So maybe we're sort of theorising about something that's not going to happen at this point. But, um, right. yeah, look, I agree with you that Dougal Howardian could potentially be a, a pretty nice thing. Um, yeah. Mm. Could be interesting. Or could you do something crazy like TJ out and Dougal in? TJ out, you think? I don't Ooh. know. Well, he's on the bench. Oh yeah. Could he, could he drop out? Could he still drop out? Is that, well, or is that the final team? Well, I mean, he could still drop out. You know, you can always still drop players. I'm pretty sure um, yeah. at this point. And anyway, I guess so. He could drop out. RT could drop out as well. Yeah. He could be. Arch- he could be on the fringe because he was, Arch- did not have a great game last week. No, he finished it okay, but he did. He definitely uh, seemed a little bit slow with the hand and ball movement. Uh, throughout mm. the game, I, I'm thinking that he, I think he might have had a bit of nerves first game of the season. I think a lot of players had nerves last year, but uh, but, but let's be honest, it will be much stronger if uh, Hamish is fully fit and uh, he's playing. And I guess well done to Jimmy Tumpus 
uh, as we know, the former Melbourne player getting his uh, first Guernsey. And what a game to be playing in, a, in an away showdown. It should be quite exciting for him. Absolutely. And um, look, if you just want, if you're a big footy person and you want a little bit of a highlight, I definitely recommend reading the official Jimmy Tumpus watch on the Melbourne board. It's quite entertaining um, to see. Is, is that why? What are they saying? <laughs> uh, it's not so much what they're saying, but they're picking out all of the parochial stuff that you're used to as a South Australian about Port Adelaide, talking about how every player is pretty amazing, even the Port one sometimes, and they're just making fun of that. And that's, that's a pretty <laughs> fair call a lot of the time, I think, that um, we say, so, you know, it's still a small market. Um, and we still think our local players are the best, and that's that's cool. You know, that's the South Australia. That's how we are. So that, that's uh, I think yeah. that's nice. Go Jimmy. Go Jimmy. Hope he does well. Go Jimmy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a. I feel sorry, a little bit sorry for Aaron Young though. I uh, I thought, he, yeah, obviously he was best on ground get at the parade and just falling short again. Yeah. Well, look, um, just quickly cover Adelaide. They've only made one change from the team that lost to North Melbourne last week uh, by 10 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've brought in um, Hartigan for Van Berlo. I don't think it makes a really huge difference to them at all uh, in terms of how they line up. But uh, I guess uh, what, what, does it, what does it say, though? They're a bit worried about our forward line. Well, I guess you'd have to be after seeing Charlie Dixon sort of sit hitting his straps a little bit late in that game. Um, yeah. You know, I think there's no doubt he'll be a focus of their... Um, energy and while I wouldn't expect any fights to start I would expect him to get very close attention and to be kind of reliant on umpires bringing him into the game a little bit which I think kind of opens up opportunities for our other forwards Um, well I hope we rope a dope him a little bit here and and maybe mm. do a couple of sucker punches early in the game kick it long to to Dixon uh, just to get them Dixon aware and then I'd hope then I hope after that that we have our forwards leading to the ball carrier and our ball carriers are dropping their eyes um, yep. because I, I think that could be a major advantage for us. Yeah, and look, I mean, it's one of those games where if they're paying too much attention to Dixon, then Schultz can really punish them. He's still got that fantastic uh, straight kick um, from anywhere near the 50, um, mm. which is, you know, that's that's invaluable. And of course, you know, the Smalls will still want to watch out for guys like Wingard and um, Robbie Gray, who is not injured. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> as was reported uh, during the week. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think that the main obstacle probably that we're going to face with the Crows is the fact that Sam Jacobs pretty much always tells us. Uh, I don't know. What do you think we're going to do to counter that, Rick? Well, I was going to say just quickly, I think the um, the Crows are probably going to be a little bit worried, I would imagine, by the fact that they sort of ran out of legs against the North Melbourne team last week. Mm. And you know, everyone coming in North Melbourne was running out of legs. But I think the Crows really hit the wall and ran out of legs. And we know what the Etihad surf- surface is like and, and how that can take take a bit more pace out of players. So I think that could be a real uh, disadvantage for the Crows. And you're right, Sam Jacobs is going to be their number one uh, number one weapon. And I'll tell you what, if our midfield uh, starts off the game like they did last week, mm. um, you know, well, him and Scott Thompson uh, could really, really do some damage. I mean... People are discounting their their midfield, and I guess um, yeah, on paper ours probably has a, a bit more uh, flash to it now, especially with Dangerfield gone. But um, mm. yeah, look, we we really need Loby to step up, and he needs to really uh, smash that body of Sam Jacobs as much as we he can. And I, I think we need to take the uh, uh, the Geelong approach with what's his name, Wickleves, um, and really work on that third man up to try and nullify the stoppage. I think that's going to be a key. 
Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, certainly all the pressure's on our midfield this week uh, to make sure that there's not a huge influence. And I think one of the things we're consistently seeing across the league this so far this year is that if you let sides get away from you early, it's really hard to peg them back. Um, if you don't stay in touch, you really if you need, if you don't stay in touch, you pretty much lost the match because of the changing demanding fitness and the fact that none of the clubs are quite up to speed on that yet. Mm. So that that's kind of interesting. Um, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> well, about Sam Jacobs. Yeah, like, or well, about right. being able to cope with an early onslaught from the Crows because it is their what their first home game for the year. They'll have the crowd behind them. They'll be thinking they can uh, do a good so job against us. Hypothetically, we're sticking with this full full pressure press. Yeah. So how long do we persist with it? Let's say we have the, the sluggish midfield start that we we sort of had in the first half last week. Um, you know, do we do we go ten minutes in and um, you know, if it's not working, do we set our defence a little bit deeper or is Ken Hinckley a little bit stubborn and is he going to just persist regardless? I think I think he would persist regardless, Ken. I kind of agree um, because I think that if it does get out of our hands, I think he wants us still to be playing the style he wants us playing all year. Certainly at this point of the year, it's not time to change everything. It's time to stick with what you've been covering all pre-season, which we've done fairly consistently. Um, gosh, I don't know. I think it's going to come down to him trying to get him as fired up as much as possible for the first quarter and just hang in there and, what is it, never, ever give up. Mm. Um, they, if they don't start hanging their heads, then we should be okay, I'd say. But, well, I think um, we, if, we can, if we just pay close attention to uh, perennial ball magnet Scott Thompson and I reckon put a lock down on Brody Smith on the, on the halfback flank, who, who's probably their, their main meter reader, um, I don't know how he performed last week. I missed the game, but going on last year, um, you know. So if we if we really pay attention to those two, uh, especially in the first quarter, mm. um, you know, I think that will be a, take us a long way to staying in the contest if we're a little bit behind in momentum in the beginning. Um, that I, I just I just can't see us beating Stan, Sam Jacobs. Right, history's showing that Loby can't do it. Um, you know, and if he can, I'll make a statue of Lobie and bow to it. But um, I, uh, yeah, I just, I just think we're just going to have to face the reality that Sam Jacobs is going to palm it wherever we, wherever he wants. So we just sort of need to be defensive first and not offensive first, especially in the in the clearances. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, it's just um, Macker is actually following this one, um, and he's just pointed out that uh, Eddie Betts has kicked 14 goals against Port in the last four games against us. Who do we reckon is going to match up on him? Big Ed. Oh, jeez, mm. that's a. I'd go TJ inside yeah. 50. I, I would let him run out outside of 50. But uh, as a, I can't remember who the poster was on Big Footy this week um, highlighted. I think we really need to be physical with Eddie Betts because. Yeah. Um, not stupid, not you know, obviously not punching him in the face. That's that sort of physical, but really hit the body hard as early as possible and as often as possible because he does seem like the sort of player that doesn't like that physicality. Um, you know, and we've got to be careful how we do it because obviously it'll be especially in a showdown, hot game. If you if you're over the top, obviously the umpires are going to just blow the whistle straight away and give a free kick, which will be stupid. But yeah. um, and maybe you've got to be smart where we do it. You know, out in front of goals, maybe not. You know, if he's out on the wing, he's open, open slather in the pockets. Let's hit him. But 
Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably like TJ, a taller opponent, more so than say a Jarman Impey. I think yeah. um, I think Jarman drops his head on Eddie a little bit too quickly. I think Eddie's got that experience on him. I kind of feel like um, if we're looking at more classic power defences um, for us in our journey in the AFL, um, this is the sort of matchup that you'd really want to have Michael Wilson in the side for, mm. um, not to directly oppose him, but because every time he stands near him, which he'll make sure to do, he'll give him a sly elbow on the side just to let him know he's there mm. and to just add to that feeling for Eddie Betts that there's people all around him that are sort of keeping an eye on him, which I think makes it much more inhibiting than if he's playing one-on-one. Um I don't think we do that so much. It'd be nice to see that element coming back into our game as we're getting better, but um, that's the sort of team attention that I'd like to see return, and I think we probably need to have return in some form uh, if we're really going to become a premiership side. So who would, out of this team, who would you get to stand on any bets then? Um, I agree with TJ, but I definitely want guys like Impey and Trengove letting him know that they're there. Um, yeah. <laughs> pretty much yeah. as much as possible. If you can sort of drift by when the ball's not in the area and give him a bit of a nudge and you know let him know that you've got an eye on him, then I think that's probably a good way for the team to act. Could one um, of our former co-hosts come out of retirement, George Fiacci, play this game? He's, <laughs> he's, still, he's still looking pretty fit. What do you reckon, put George on Eddie? I reckon he'd let him know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, Four North East is the, the, the second knuckle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But, yeah, look, I, I'd go TJ, uh, and I think it's just going to have to be something that's rotated, I guess. They're playing Cameron as well, aren't they? Uh, da, 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 no, 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 he's not so inside. That, okay, so that was just a prospective thing. So um, that didn't happen. But yeah, I guess uh, I think it's just going to be one of those team defences. But geez, he could get a few goals if we mm. play like we did against the Saints. He'll be running into that open goal with Glee, I reckon. Yeah, I think that's um, definitely our main concern is that we take if is that the crows will come out at their peak fitness and rather than having the opportunity to wait for them to sort of wear down a little bit we might actually get caught out and not be able to bring it back so i think that's really what we need to be conscious of i think this is one of those games that at quarter time if you go down to the belt uh, the, the bet maker and uh, place a bet you'll probably have a fair bit of certainty on how the game's going to go by that point mm, maybe the for the people that are listening in maybe they can help us out and uh, post a comment on who they who, who they reckon should be on uh Eddie Betts. And, We've had uh, that, and they yeah. reckon TJ, as far as I can tell. Yep. TJ. Everyone's yeah, with TJ. Tom Jonas. Everyone's with TJ. This is, I suppose this is his do or die, really, because a lot of people are against TJ, and if he plays on Eddie Betts and he doesn't do well, he might be out on his ass. So, um... Even though I, I hypothetically dropped him for Dougal Howard earlier, I'm saying play TJ on uh, Eddie Betts, yes. You know, someone should have called me out on that one. But um, he wasn't that bad last week, though, Tom Jonas, was he? No, it's just that... If you're looking at playing three tall backmen, then having Tom Jonas as the quasi-tall, I think it's probably less useful than it otherwise would be. Um, mm. Because I think I think Tom Jonas's spot in the side is better when we're playing only two tall key defenders. Um, and he's sort of that third backman that can sort of go each way. Um, mm. I think the fact that we're playing Homsch in that role restricts Tom Jonas to really pretty much playing on mediums and smalls, I'd say. Mm. Um, Kind of tricky. So we, I'm pretty. Well, I mean they're great players, so I don't say this with disrespect. But uh, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with the defenders that we've got. Say for matching up on your um, your Josh Jenkins and your mm. and your Taylor Walker. I think yep. I think we we've got the players to match match those players if they if everyone's equal on the day. Um, obviously, you know Taylor Walker's got the ability to to rip a game out. He's a bloody good player, and, and Josh Jenkins has performed 
um, some great games too. So, uh, but yeah, all things being equal, you know, I'm comfortable with Alipati, Jackson, and Jack uh, matching up on those on those tall forwards. Um, that McGovern actually looked alright for the Crows as well, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, for his first game. Yep, yeah, there's no doubt. Um, we just had yeah. another comment on the uh, Spreaker uh, here from Ryan Pillar, who suggested that uh, seeing as the Crows got smashed in tackles last week, only 63 to 82, and we had 100-plus tackles, our intensity should make us a good match for the Crows uh, in terms of making them accountable and maybe not letting them just have free use of the ball. Yeah, I was really impressed with our intensity last week. I know, I know some people were commenting that, um, yeah, that's because we didn't have the ball, but... Mm. You can still be um, you can still be a bit lethargic when it comes to chasing down the ball carrier, and I thought our intensity to, to try and get to the ball carrier, which was exemplified by um, Jake Need, for example, uh, I thought that was you know, and Chad Wingard and, and Matt Lobie for that matter as well. Yep. In in that capacity, you know, we were really high intense with the tackling. So, um, and I imagine coming out against the showdown will be like that too. So. Yeah, it's, we just really need to stop that extraction. That really hurt us in the last showdown. So if we can nullify... And I guess against St Kilda, we didn't do that great in the clearances either. No, no. Uh, it's definitely their area of concern, but you'd have to hope that we are so aware of it now that maybe we've got a solution, you'd hope. We've got a few bit yeah. of a brain's trust working on that sort of stuff these days, so hopefully they can come up with something. So what, what do you think? What, what do you think our clearance issue is? I pointed out that I, I don't think we've um, sort of been able to fix it since the loss of um, Richardson and then Walsh. Uh, is it a, a coaching thing or do you think it's a player thing? I think that we don't set up to the extent that we think Lobby is going to lose. Um, when we should, I think we could be or should be assuming that he will lose and therefore not give the opponent so much space to just pick up the ball when the opposing ruckman gets the win of the tap. Um, you can see a lot of the times when they're getting that, when Lobby isn't winning the ball, um, our players aren't set up defensively to stop it because they're expect sort of half. They're still expecting Lobby to win, which is mm. great for a team strategy. We want to be setting up like that. But if he's not winning, then it really exposes us, uh, mm. and it increases our reliance on a player that has over the past twelve months proven to be extremely unreliable. Mm. Um, I'd say personally, that's the main concern. Um, but, you know, that can't all be Lobby's fault. Um, a lot of that's got to come down to awareness as well. Um, maybe not keeping their eye on how the contest is going or where their opponents are, you know, when they're in the middle because they've still got opponents, they've still got people they're meant to be vaguely aware of and maybe that's sort of part of where we're letting ourselves down is being too attacking and not enough accountability. Uh, as a supporter base, are we a little bit too overconfident with our team because... A lot of supporters think, you know, on paper that we have a far superior team uh, to the Crows. Do you agree with that, or do you think it's more it's more neutral than what we all think? Um, I think the Crows have got a better balanced side, so I think that their quality at all positions is pretty even, uh, and that sort of goes back to Neil Craig times in a lot of ways. Um, in that they they, it's hard to pinpoint an extreme weakness for them, whereas we clearly have one. Um, you know, we've got some absolute superstar forwards uh, in Robbie Gray and uh, Chad Wingate, who also can do midfield a bit as well. Mm. But the Achilles heel of Ruck sort of really, it's our most exploitable feature, and so clubs do whatever they can to exploit it, I think. Mm. Um, but I, I think our defence is as good as anyone's um, when they're actually in form. 
Our forward line with Charlie Dixon added, it's still a work in progress, so that's part of it. It's going to take a full season. It's going to take a full season for the team to be really comfortable with how that all works. Um, that's just the only sensible way to look at that. Um, and so we've got a lot of quality on paper, but I think that the gap between our team on paper and our team on the field is where the real issue lies. Um, mm. Yeah, we, we're great it's on paper, which is unusual for a port side. Don't you think our midfield looks a little bit stronger than the Crows, especially with the loss of Dangerfield? Uh, or, or do you highly rate Matt Crouch as a player? I think with Dangerfield gone, then yeah, I think the midfield makes us look a lot better. But we've still got guys that, you know, Sam Gray and Brendan Archie, uh, both really good guys. Uh, and they played really well at the end of last year, but they've still got to back it up um, and really show that they're there for 22 rounds or 23 rounds. Yeah. Um, so that's still, again, working out the, the way they work together because those guys sort of came in the side when we had Ollie Wines out and, you know, weren't playing at our, our, our first side. Um, and so it's a matter of just putting all the pieces together and being ready to work together as a team. So, um, well, you think their running power would have taken a bit of a hit with the... I know that Van Berlo's getting older, but dropping Van Berlo for another key defender, um, you know, that's another midfield rotation out for them. So... Um, yeah, I would have thought we'd have a bit of a uh, an advantage come midfield rotations with the the depth of the two squads. Well, they got Wayne Malera coming in this year, so that's sort of good for them. Um, he said he's yeah, he, he's got a bit of pace, so hopefully, well, hopefully for them, he'll uh, be able to compensate a little bit for that. But yeah, pace is certainly a concern for the Crows. But I I think that mostly they're going to be just trying to win that first possession and bung it forward in the way they usually try and do and mm. just hope that season through. So how do we win the game? Don't let them do it. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Just call Ken. Ken, yeah. and win first possession. Look, it's not even a matter of not letting them win first possession, but it's a matter of um, shutting down their clearances. So I wouldn't be too surprised to see us overload the defence around half-back again this year, or for this match, sorry. Um, just because if they do get a quick clearance, then we may be able to just um, thwart their easy access to the ball around half forward. Well, what was your... I don't know if you posted on the forums, but what was your take on our, our this uh, new press falling down? Did you Could you pick anything up that was the reason? No, not really. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily about falling down, but, I mean, we've made it pretty clear over the pre-season that we've been training for different fitness conditions than our opponents have. Mm. Um, and that is exhibited not through our opponents being worse than us all game, but through our opponents spending more of their energy at the start of the game than at the end, whereas we're probably a bit more consistent in that regard. Like, we were just... As much as you can say the scoreline was not flattering, we missed a lot of goals, which is all true... Um, we were pretty consistent, I felt, in terms of most of our effort for most of that game last week. Um, yep. And I'd say that's probably fairly true for the round before and the round before that. Um, we just, I think, I don't know if it was we just weren't pressuring that first kick into that press enough or the midfield wasn't shutting down that release kick from the inside the press quick enough. Um, but they were, that was really the the easy option for them. They were getting that, you know, 30-metre kick into the press, which was then allowing them to, to really try and get over the back of, uh, of that press. So either we need to really lock down that first kick into and push it, put, put a bit more pressure on there, and, um, yeah, or the midfield just has to make sure they slow down um, 
that disposal once they get into the press. But well, it's actually I'm really intrigued. It's going to be a, a fascinating game, and I'm so overwhelmed that. Uh, some of our great friends have decided to get married on Saturday at 1.30. I'm overjoyed for them, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching their ceremony. Who even does that? I really? know. Bloody Rachel Chad, outrageous. <laughs> so angry. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be running to the pub at um, half time somewhere, I guess, to see the second half. <laughs> That's appalling. <laughs> 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 can I? Maybe I can give Mel a, a little cardboard cutout of me and say, "Just hold that next to you." Maybe that maybe that will work well. So, who's gonna who's gonna be your game winner this week? Uh, I'll probably I don't know. Am I ruining your run sheet? No, only a little bit. It's fine. Um, it's flexible. I've got to say, if we've got a game winner, I think it's gonna be. Uh... I reckon it's gonna be Sam Gray. I reckon it'll be Sam Gray. Sam Gray, yeah. Because I think that he's still at a point where opposition sides will say, oh, yeah, Sam Gray, and that'll give him the opportunity to just rack up disposals again like he did last week and just get better and get more used to the role that he's in, which is, is what, the fourth or fifth midfielder in our side right now. Mm. Um, we've got a little comment from Macca here uh, saying the key to winning outside of Lobby versus Jacobs is our key forwards. Um, Tally usually takes Westhoff but may go to Schultz and we might see Hardigan go to Dixon and Chaney then go to Westhoff and that we should be able to exploit a couple of those matchups if we get a fair share in midfield. Yeah, that's a fair call by Macca. Uh, I, I loved Westhoff's game last week. Mm. Uh, I think he was a great beneficiary of uh, Dex- Dixon being in the side. He, he just sort of had complete freedom to uh, play the game on his terms. And yeah, I guess the Crows uh, aren't going to be allowed to... You know, just lock down Westhoff because they don't really have anyone for Dixon then, do they? No, it's and it's hard to lock down Westhoff when you're only using your third best defender on him as well. Yeah, really, that's right. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, I guess for me, I'm looking forward to uh, Chad Wingard. I reckon he's going to step it up. I reckon, I reckon we're going to see a little bit more influence from Chad around the stoppages this week and, uh, and the clearances and... Uh, yep. Plus his his regular contribution to the scoreboard, which is just amazing. I think it's he's so underrated as a uh, as a player still by opposition supporters. I, oh, I don't yeah. know what I don't know why they think he's bloody um, some prancing pony. He must be just good because um, I don't I don't actually see him as a, if I'm try, if I'm being really objective. I don't I don't actually see Chad as a bit of a show pony. Do you? No, he's not. The only thing that you can say against Chad is that he. Knows he's good. That's it. He's a fig jam, and that's not a problem. You know, a lot of really great really? players. You're a, yeah, you're he's fig jam. Ah, oh, not in an offensive way, but I don't think there's yeah. any doubt that he knows his value and he knows what he can do. You know, and that yeah. and that it oozes from every part of him. There's no doubt. You can see just in his attitude on the field how he approaches everything that he knows what he can do and he knows what he has to do and he knows that he can do it and that he's probably going to do it. You know, but he, um, I think the key is that he executes it nearly every single time. Exactly, exactly. He's a, uh, yeah. It's right. kind of, what, what's fascinating about Wingard though is that, you know, like to get that sort of personality trait, you normally associate it, well, I would normally associate it with someone like Warren Treadray who was known to be a bit of a hard ass and, you know, very serious early on in his career. But Wingard seems to have done that while at the same time being a bit of a joker. So that's mm. really unusual. I, I don't know how that works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when he's in the, when he's in the public um, talking to the media, I mean, I've only seen him really taught team, to be yeah, honest. And absolutely. 
you know, I guess every now and again he might have a he might not be in, be happy if he doesn't get a dish off or something. You know, but I think uh, Robbie Gray was on that slight angle, uh, kicking to the northern end, and the and uh, you know I think he, he sort of had a bit of a shrug when he was dead in front, twenty out, and didn't get it passed over. But there was no way Robbie was going to pass it from thirty metres out. But yeah, I mean he's just such a gifted player, and uh, again took another fantastic mark. And I think that's the beneficiary for our team this year. Um, Chad's had a full pre-season, no injury yep. like last year. Yeah, it was noticeable. It, it took him really half a season to get his confidence in his body and his fitness, and he came good to the at the end of the year. But he, he's looking good already, so uh, I think it's very exciting for us. Absolutely. Um, we just had another comment here from Ryan Pillar, who reckons that Ollie, met, Ollie Wines is going to win the medal, uh, and that he and Boke are going to lift from their poor games last week. So. Uh, Certainly hope that's the case. Um, and if we are breaking even in midfield, that probably is the case. Um, well, that's not bad by Ollie, is it? What, 20, 24 disposals, no. what, seven clearances, one goal, and he had an average game last week. That's it, isn't it? Um, his upside is enormous. But, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of the player that he most reminds me of. I guess sort of a an Anthony Stevens type in that it was very easy to look at someone like Anthony Stevens at North Melbourne and just think, oh, yeah, he's, he's a good, solid player. Um, but when you look at his numbers, like he was always fantastic and tough mm-hmm. and everything else you'd want in a footballer. Uh, and I, I kind of feel, you know, Ollie's probably got a bit more strength and uh, build to him, but I think he's probably that sort of player that you can probably overlook some weeks and go, oh, yeah, he was kind of quiet, and then realise he was probably still in your top 10 players uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess he, he's set such a high benchmark that he's just, um, uh, yeah, very uh, harshly... Uh, assess but you know i guess that's a good way to be because that's how you uh, improve so uh, absolutely I'm, I'm sure he'll have a big game and uh, what will they do would they maybe match him up on scott thompson ah uh, i don't think you'd waste him in a negating role um no not, not as a stopper but you know put him uh, you know just do a you know man on man at the uh, center square or do you reckon we should go for a, a complete lockdown role on thompson we don't really have a player to do that. No, no. I mean, I guess so, the sort of possession we want him to get. Yeah, so do we just mm. go, you know what, we want you to go head-to-hand with Scotty Thompson. A bit like the Frio final, you know, when he, uh, third quarter, up against Nate Fife, bang, hit the body, get the ball, and just use his physicality. Could be uh, interesting. Could backfire too, though. Yeah, I'd be more inclined to use him against someone like um, Crouch, you know, yes. where there is a clear physical advantage. Because I think against Scott Thompson, the way Thompson plays, like he's he's very good in close, so he's harder to pressure physically than other players in that midfield. Mm. Um, you know, if if he gets even a sniff of the ball coming near him, it's not too hard for him to do the little handball he's good at um, mm. and get clear even under physical pressure. So I, I kind of feel... It's one of those things, you know, where they talk about doing matchups, and you want like your second, you want to lose one. You have your, your worst player up against their best. You have your second best player up against their third best player, and you want your best player up against their second best player because then you get two wins out of three contests, and it could be a little bit like that in terms of the physicality. And that maybe our biggest advantage is just in making sure that as many of our midfielders as possible has a physical advantage over their opponent. And then if we lose one, then that's okay. I just have this image that. Mac is all frustrated, bouncing up and down in his chair, just wanting to uh, um, join in on this uh, on this conversation. He's been making a few comments, I've got to say. Has he? Oh, yeah. Bless his cotton socks. 
We've had one. We've had a question from uh, Ryan Pillar asking whether we could see uh, Tumpus lockdown on Thompson. Um, I think that's a. Yeah, I don't, I don't, think, don't, that's, think, I don't so. think that's likely. I don't think he's a lockdown player. Um, first of all, I don't think he's got the fitness, and I don't think he's got the quick awareness of it. I think he's better at a, a slow read of the play as much as anything else, um, and he'll be more useful as a, as a link in a chain of possession um, rather than sort of the first one in that chain. Um, yeah. Although he does need to develop that side of the game, obviously, if he's going to be an AFL midfielder. He definitely, but, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. He, he, what I've seen so far is... His link-up play has been yeah. very, very good. I'm, I'm, he could maybe develop into like a Scott Thompson-type player. I mean, geez, that'd be fantastic if he could. Because I mean, Thompson's a gun, but I don't, I don't know if he's ready for that role just yet. That would be, uh, yeah, I don't know. That would be pretty crazy. Well, I mean, the thing about Thompson is that even though we've traded for him, and he's the same age as Ollie Wines, right? So mm. he's still developing as a player, and he could do like Dom Cassisi or Josh Franco or someone like that, where he sort of plays a bit outside early on, and then when he's you know physically ready and knows the game and knows his team and knows everything else about it, he might turn into a more physical player from that point onwards. Mm. Um, it's certainly he's got. There's nothing that would impede him in doing that. I would say physically. It just comes down to how he develops his game and how he sort of moves through the side uh, as he gets old and gets more experience and hits that peak, those peak years in, what, three or four years' time. Awesome. So what are we okay. up to? All right, where we're up to now is the what I call Fringe Force 5, where we discuss one of five slightly controversial players each week. Uh, this week it's Aaron Young, who almost made selection this week. Um, now, Aaron Young, he was drafted at pick 26, 36 sorry, in the 2010 National Draft. Um, he's 23 years old and he's played 42 games. Uh, he averages only about 10 disposals per game with not a lot of time on ground because he's played a lot of games as the sub when that rule was around. Um, and really got to just sort of ask where we think he's at in terms of the team. Um, I guess I'll start with the first question, which is what, in the best case scenario for Aaron Young, not necessarily for the team, but in the best case scenario for, for him, what would you say his best role would be in the first 22? Oh, jeez. I don't know. Maybe half-forward flank? Do you think that'd be your first choice? Like, if you were Aaron Young and, they, and Ken says, pick a position and you can have it. Oh, if I was Aaron Young, yeah. sorry. If I was Aaron Young, I'd be... I guess I'd probably be asking to play centre. Yeah. I'd say, Ken, I've got some core strength now. Uh, you know, I can attack the ball at speed. Uh, I can move the ball at clearance. Um, give me an opportunity uh, at centre and ruck rover and let me prove to you that I... Um, that I can get the ball out and deliver it to our forwards. Yeah, uh, he's kind of burdened, I think, a little bit as a utility um, in that he can do a few other things. But I, I do agree that if he was going to make a full-time role, he probably would play in centre. Um, and then I guess it comes down to a sort of the core question here is, do we think that's a role that he can play at Port Adelaide, um, given the rest of our list? And, Not really. But he's know, a valuable player because he... Uh, he still keeps adding another couple of percent to his performances each year for the, the next few years. He becomes that valuable depth player, mm, um, mm. which you need when the when the injuries strike. Um, but yeah, to be honest, I mean, Sam Gray and, and Arch have potentially well, they have passed him um, for how long? Who knows? But at this mm. point in time, they've passed him, and and obviously, uh, you know, Tumpus is uh, ahead of him in the pe- pecking order as well. So. You'd think that with the rest of our list, he'd be next in line, however. Do you think that 
so this is the, one of the things where I suppose not knowing of the players is a, a bit of an impediment, but do you think that he's the sort of guy that will hang around the club and be willing to take those chances when they come up, or do you think he might be looking for greener pastures in the future? Well, he, there hasn't been any murmurings of him wanting to leave at any point so far in his career. No. But, I mean, if I was him, yeah, I would almost, you know, I, I don't know, I'd almost think there's something wrong if he didn't want to go to another more advanced opportunity, really. I mean, I know I'm always one that tries to improve and better myself, and if, if I'm sort of in a, an environment where I, I've hit my ceiling but I think I could be better, well, then uh, I'd probably want to seek other opportunities. And and if I was the coach and I had a player on my list that, you know, didn't really want to push to, to be better and was ha- and was content, well, well, maybe should he be on the list anyway? Yeah, that, that that could be fair, but I guess, you know, if you're a coach that wants a premiership side, I mean, you really want 25, 26 players that are genuine AFL footballers, you know, not necessarily superstars, but that you know can mm. come in and do what you want them to do, you know, 95% of the time. Yeah. Well, tricky. some people fall in love with the club, don't they? I mean, yeah. you know, look at you know, Paul Rosonico, great example, you know. Yeah. He came to the club, perfect club man, doesn't care. And, you know, Port Adelaide, and we're not the only club, have had a lot of those players um what was, was it Jason Cripps at St Kilda he took like 10 years or something to get 50 games didn't he but I, I guess modern yeah football. but that was injury that, that wasn't just uh, not being picked he had a huge 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 run of injuries can I can I actually go way off track here just quickly <laughs> yeah why I not could, I couldn't believe I walked past my son watching Foxtel the other day and they had a bloody TV show on Menzel and recovery yeah. from injury. I was like, really? It was almost as uh, nauseating as watching the uh, Hawthorne review the Premiership. I just wanted to vomit. On oh, really? Yeah. But anyway, I was just I really was surprised. Right. Did you? I just was really surprised by that. I mean, I mean, football's been... There's been heaps of footballers crueled by injury over their career and, and fight back. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what made him so special? That well, yeah. That, that's look. That's a fair criticism, but I also think it's okay for Fox Footy to do little shows like that because I think that it's really important for fans, particularly, to realise you know the sacrifices that players are making um, when they're trying to get into the side. And you know, if they're injured, we sort of like. I mean, I do it. When a player is injured, I just sort of remove them from my brain until they're in contention again. But that's not what they can do. They have to work really bloody hard to come back. And it's, I agree that you know it'd be nice to occasionally see it about a non-Victorian player. But you know, mm. Fox Footy spend their money where they want to spend it, I guess, and uh, easy to do a long one. There you go. Well, that was my little derail. No, that's that's fine. I we're pretty much done with Aaron Young, so we'll just quickly. Uh, Bring up the Magpies game this week, uh, playing against the Crows in Manham uh, on Sunday. Are you Sunday tipping a winner? Well, I don't know. Well, you want to do that after this? Yeah, we'll do that after. We'll do that last okay. thing, you know, sure. the final bit. Um, it, I think that um, one thing that happened during the week was uh, we saw Chad Corns doing his first SNFL review on the website, and I think that uh, overall people were pretty happy with that. Um, I felt it that uh, his player reviews for all the guys on the Magpie side, they read like reviews from 20 years ago before Juno started writing up to make it sound like everyone had huge upside. Mm. Um, they were really pretty blunt, and they weren't mean or anything like that, but they were just really um, no bullshit, and I, I was pretty pleased to see that. Um, I just sort of wondered, do you think Chad Corns is going to be one of those sort of really old-school tough coaches? Well, he seems like that sort of guy. I mean, 
you know, he, he seemed to have that honest persona when he played. Um, I guess there was always that murmuring that, I don't know if it was factually true or not, that, you know, he was a little bit destabilising, perhaps. Maybe he was destabilising because he was honest. And as we know, some people can't handle honesty. Um, but I think that's good for us as a footy club. I'd rather that than uh, someone who's a little bit soft and just lets players get away with it and not knowing as it is, how it is. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, and, of course, the big news uh, this week is that um, Adelaide Crows in the reserves are going to be debuting the new Patrick Dangerfield, Tom Doty. Um, sort of interesting to see if he can live up to the hype that already exists around his name. Uh, and we'll be having uh, Riley Bonner and uh, Will Snelling debuting as former Bloods um, into awesome. the side. Yeah. It, look, it, I think it's going to be an interesting match for people that are willing to make the trip out to Manham. Um, yeah, it's on I don't Saturday, know. Isn't it? A Sunday, I'm pretty sure. So, oh, it's on Sunday. Yeah, so I guess it's good for the side that loses the main game is you can go out to Manham and have another shot. Well, I think <laughs> uh, if you're courageous, um, you might see uh, Chad Wingard there be close to his home, and That's he true. might be he might be keen to uh, go out and follow uh, his teammates in the SANFL. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting, and maybe uh, Chad and Kane might not get abused this week. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it seems to be uh, a bit of a topic or conversation today on the radio. Um, a few poor people were calling up saying the uh, behaviour uh, was quite disturbing, um, which is quite disappointing. I'm, I know there's a bit of resentment to Port and Crows as um, reserve sides in the SANFL, but I guess... You know, we can still keep it reasonably civil, can't we? You'd hope so, certainly at the second level. It's just not that much worth fighting about. <laughs> well, and I think probably that's the problem, though. You know, for the supporters of the other seven clubs, is it seven or ten? Whatever. Uh, seven or eight. Well, how many ever, whatever's left. Um, yeah. I guess for them, they're still passionate about their club, and I, I guess that's where the animosity is coming from. You know, Absolutely. They, they obviously feel like it's cheapened uh, their league and uh, and they don't like it. But let's get real and always advocate, support your team instead of bagging the opposition. Absolutely. Um, and particularly at seconds level because it's just no point. Correct. <laughs> unless, unless it's Brett Burton, then it might be. <laughs> Honestly, hmm. I'd be Brett Burton if I saw him in Subway. <laughs> <laughs> the snitch. Hey, um... No one wants to call? No, no. We've just been going off comments through Spreaker, which is great, actually. It's worked out really well. It's very easy awesome. for me to follow. So um, hopefully we'll get a bit more of that in future weeks as well, and I'll try and make great. sure we uh, follow that up and uh, read the comments and sort of filter through some of the really good ones. Awesome. Um, all right, so we'll just do the final wrap. Who's going to win? Yes. I'm going to go Port, and I think we're going to win by 38 points. Yeah, and wow. uh, Chad's going to kick five goals, and Dixon's going to kick two, but he's going to be in the play quite a bit. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I think we're going to win, but I think we're probably going to win by between four and five goals, so say, you know, 25-odd points. Um, I think if we got more than that, uh, I, I just don't think the Crows let us win by that much. I'd love if we absolutely trounce them, but I don't think we can count on that. Um, I think I they're probably... I reckon it's going to have like that first showdown feel to it at yeah. our own level. That's, yeah. that's how I'm feeling the game's going to play out. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's the it's the Crows' first home game for the year, and they haven't got a win yet, so they're going to be pretty fired up. There's no doubt. Um, and I, but I think the way that we've approached fitness this year is going to hold us in good stead. Um, I think that we should have the class in the second half, and it's just a matter of not getting blown out in the first. I think, mm. um, which is why I'm sort of seeing something in that four to five goal range. Do you think it's going to be a bit of a um, rotation game of chess? You know, our team is going to push the rotations harder earlier than others to try and get a, uh, a bit of a fitness advantage and get a lead out and a bit like sort of what happened with the St Kilda game last week or you just think it's just a bit randomness? I don't believe that's responsive. So I don't think that people go, oh, well, our opposition's doing this now, so we'll match it. I don't think that... I think that might be a case in very few situations, but I think that's probably going to be more to do with who's off rather than what number we're at. So... You know, if they rest their key midfielder, then maybe that's a good time for us to do the same rather than they're on 30 and we're on 40, you know. Mm. Um, I, I don't think that's a huge impact. I think that we'll go in with our own set plan. Uh, it makes it easier for us to work on in terms of um, planning out how our fitness is going to go and giving the fitness guys the best opportunity to work out what they need to do. Um, I think it'll be pretty much we'll stick to our own plan for fitness unless we get injuries, which obviously happened last week. Fingers crossed, no injuries. Yeah, that would be really nice. Um, as for highest goal kicker, I find it hard to pick one. I think there's probably going to be three guys or four guys or five guys that kick two goals. Um, Wingard, obviously, one of those. I'd say Dixon will probably get a couple. Schultz will get a couple. Um, we might see Ebert follow up and get a couple himself. And I guess we might see Tompas get one or two as well, depending on how he's played. What about um, Robbie Gray? Yeah, yeah. Um, I expect him to play in midfield most of the game. But yeah, he could certainly get forward. It depends on how we rotate, I guess. Yeah. And now, Rick, the big question, can you think of any spuds that might tear us apart from the Crows? Who there is someone that's not their best player that you might think, oh, they're going to really expose us? Can I be honest? Yep. I don't even know. They're whole 22. Uh, <laughs> is that Luke Brown still playing? Yeah, yeah, he is. Is he playing on the weekend? He is playing this week. Can we classify him as a spud? Yeah. If, you, if you're not sure if he's playing or not, then I think he's probably good enough for the classification. All right. Well, that, I'm going to put. I'm going to nominate Luke Brown as our spud that could potentially tear us apart. Yeah. I'm going to stretch the term of spud because he's not a spud, but he is a player that you would hope would not tear us apart in his uh, early career. I think Wayne Miller might get off the chain a little bit if he gets an opportunity. Is he related to the other boys? I don't know. It's the know. same surname, isn't it? Like, yeah. uh, what was it? Terry, Terry and... Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. You'd have to assume so, but how related, I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that's a bit early. That's a bit harsh putting him in the spud category. I didn't. I said I was stretching it to a player that probably shouldn't play brilliantly against us at this point in his career. He, so, should, he should be rookie tear us apart thread. Yeah, all right. Well, we might rename this segment because it's kind of not always relevant anyway. <laughs> uh, and the last thing, the last thing yep. is the big call that you still think is really likely um, is bet the house. Um, last week, I lost my house. And I know Macca lost his, and I can't remember if you lost yours. Um, I lost my house because Chad Wingate kicked three goals instead of four. Macca lost his house really early on because Matthew Lovey took a mark in the first minutes of the game. <laughs> Uh, That's do, you, right. do you recall what you said was yours? Because I forgot to look it up. Shit, no, I don't. Macca, <laughs> you you remember everything, uh, and if you're still listening, um, it wasn't it wasn't. I didn't put my house on the 
crowd being 35,000, did I? Oh, you might have. I think it might have been a crowd one, actually, yeah. Because I know I, I know I said that on the forums. I just thought there's no... And let's... In, just quickly, I mean, yep. that was amazing. That crowd was fantastic. <laughs> Four, nearly 44,000 on Easter Sunday. Yeah. Um, just blew me away. And I, I mean, I didn't... It's not that I wasn't expecting it outside of the fact that, you know, I had some good footy tickets and I just couldn't give them away to anyone. No. Everyone was everyone was saying to me, I've got family barbecues or family dinners or I'm going away to the river or to the Yorks or down south or whatever. Everyone was vacating Adelaide and I was thinking, shit, well, is this bloody a reflection on, on what was going to be at the game? And, yeah, to get 44,000 people there yep. was just such a huge effort. But, yeah, no, I don't reckon. I reckon I said that... Um, Robbie Gray was going to be the leading goal scorer with four goals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, just, I'm just going to put a little dash next to your name for this round in my head because I'll, I'll look it up later and we'll see. Um, uh, just a couple, another couple of quick tips we had from Ryan Pillar, who reckons Port by 16, and Macker is in your camp. He reckons the Crow. Oh, no, he's the opposite of all of us. He reckons Crows by 41, so it's a good old Macker super negative tip. Macker is a bloody coward. Always. <laughs> Nutless. It's pretty weak, isn't it? It Um, is. And we've got Graham Hitch, who's tipped port by 23. So I think we're all pretty happy in that, what, three to eight goal range for a win for port, except for Macca, who is contrary as always. Yeah, so what's your big call? My big call, I've got to say, is probably going to be, I reckon, I reckon Sam Gray's going to be top possession getter. Come on. That's for not port, big, for port, for port. That's not a big call. It's a big call for port. Come on. Have a, his recent history, what, last five games of the year, he averaged 35, oh, over 30 disposals. First game back, he's got 37 disposals. That's not a big call. Uh, hey, I've already lost one house. Got to give me a bit of leeway here. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to go hard. I'm, I'm no coward. Okay. Eddie Betts to get less than 10 disposals and no more than one goal. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I hope you're right. I'm willing to put it on the line. All right. That's your house. Got it. Excellent. And make sure you uh, remind me of that one. Yeah, yeah, I definitely will. I'm going to start writing them down from now on. Awesome. (laughs) I like it. And we'll have to get get Macca to put his down so we can... uh, Measure. Uh, we, can, we can measure and follow. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Excellent. Well, I think we're pretty much done for the show. We've again awesome. a little bit over the hour, and I think we've had a, I think we've done a pretty good preview. What do you reckon, Rick? I reckon it was friggin' awesome. We don't oh. need Macca. Oh, we got yeah. his one. Macca says Eddie's going to kick six. He's betting the house on it. Yeah, that's a big call. Well, he's already. Like no, well, I, I, what I like about it is that one of you and Macca is going to lose, and maybe both. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with that result. That's a good result. What if he, what if Eddie kicks three? Yeah, you both lose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. If he kicks six goals, I reckon we're up shit creek without a paddle. Even though didn't we, didn't he play a game where he kicked? Oh, he kicked a bunch. A, but we still won the game. It was uh, like, it was like, I reckon, was it at Footy Park? I reckon he, I reckon he kicked like five or six goals, and it was him only that was keeping him, in, keeping them in the game. And we ended up winning the game, but if it wasn't him kicking goals. They had nothing. That's a really good one. Um, I don't know. 
See, this is where we do miss Macca because he knows this shit off the. He knows this shit off the top of his head. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, it's just like <laughs> bang bang. Yeah, yeah, that was bloody Footy Park in 2013, round four. Yeah, you know, Friday night game. Yeah, Eddie was just great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess Mecca does a lot more work on this stuff than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Good work. He can he can find out the answer for that one too. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know this stuff. It just pops uh, in my head. He's, he's the, spouting the it now through his speaker. First showdown at Adelaide Oval, he kicked four. First showdown last year, and he kicked five, and both were losses. To us. So there you go. Yeah. So there you go. Betts has kicked four or more twice and lost both times. Or sorry. He has done that twice, and he has lost both times. So I don't know if they're more than that, but that's what Mac reckons. So right, you might be on the money, or it might be a thing that he does kick a bunch of goals and the Crows lose. That'd be great. That's probably the most satisfying thing possible. Yeah, well, um, I'd be happy for him to kick ten goals if we if we win the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hmm. except for I'd hate to read the paper the next day and where it'll just be Eddie Betts ad nauseum. Yeah, but who cares? Yes. <laughs> That is true. (laughs) All right, we better go. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you, Rick. And um, thank you, listeners. And thank you, contributors through Spreaker. I'd love to see a few more next week. Awesome. And, um, yep. All right. Thank you very much. And go the power. Power. Come for it. Butcher. (laughs) Gray was brave. Running hard. More getting forward. One last chance. Boat brilliant. Wines. Monfrey's centering ball. Cassisi. Hot <laughs> You know who again. It is his birthday. <laughs> Kid's a freak.